Hi all, Double G from Fight Game Media here, letting you know that we have a sister podcast feed to the one you're listening to right now. Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva have been doing a podcast called Brace for Impact, which is now on a free feed of its own. You can search for Brace for Impact in your podcast player or check out the link in the show notes. And if you want more Brace for Impact, you can find more from Mike and J.D. on our Patreon. Everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash, and I hope all of you had a fantastic Thanksgiving Day holiday, a wonderful Black Friday. May all of your wishes come true this holiday season. But we're back here. It's a brand new week, a brand new week for WWE, the final full month of 2021, if we can believe it or not. But I'm not here alone as I have two OGs from The Wrap joining me today, back once again, doing that double duty twice in one week, but becoming a seasoned veteran. Nonetheless, Scott Young, welcome back, Scott, to the show. Thank you. And uh, I would like to throw this in there. I actually got all my audio equipment to work on the first try as well. So, yeah, I'm getting the hang of this bad boy. Yes. No audio disasters. Congratulations, to you, Scott. <laughs> Congrats. And also with us today, back once again, very low key of him to make another cameo on this show. He was great the last time during Halloween season. CJ tapping all the way from Australia. But I'm happy to say we're not in the morning this time around. We are now in the afternoon. It's just past lunchtime. Thank you for having me back on. No problem. Good to have you back. And this week is going to be a very topical show regarding all things WWE. Before I get into this week's main topic, I do want us to go back in time a bit because it kind of leads into our main topic this week in that we all became fans at first of wrestling, just fans, not being in the know of storylines and business metrics and stats and whatnot and ratings and demographics. So my question to you guys is when was the first time you became in the know about professional wrestling beyond beyond what you saw on television every Monday or Thursday night when we're on SmackDown were really popular on USA and UPN and eventually my network TV. So Scott, when was the first time you looked online and saw things beyond what you saw in the ring every single week oh man that's actually a really good question i've never really thought about um so it it probably have to be around i'd say maybe 2000 because i was definitely like 17 or 18 get about to be an adult so probably about 2010 ish so i guess this is about the time when let's see 210 what is that? I guess that's Jericho on top right then when he's got the suits and stuff going on. Um, actually, I, I can pinpoint it. It was when John Cena made his return to the Royal Rumble after he tore his peck. And after he made his return, I don't know why, but I just looked up like, you know, how did Cena come back or, you know, did they know he was coming back or something like that? And that's kind of when I started getting in the know about oh so there's all this stuff going on oh there's this website there's this guy oh, okay that's exactly what, it was john cena making that surprise turn, return after he tore his peck against mr kennedy or when he re, mr kennedy tore his peck and then he made his return at the royal rumble that's when i got in the know 
Wow, that's a fun stat. The one time besides this year, John Cena was unanimously loved by the people. And then they booed <laughs> and realized, shit, it's John Cena. Let's get back to booing this dude. <laughs> so, CJ, I know that you are relatively like younger than all of us here on this show, which is cool. So it had to be within the last few years and you really got into the know about professional wrestling besides being a fan of it. It was actually around when when I first read about when CM Punk and John Cena had the five-star match and I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I understood that, okay, that must be good. And then I kind of discovered what the observer was and then that word kayfabe, which I thought is what it said, but it's actually kayfabe. I'd seen it a lot on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, is this just a wrestling word? And then I eventually dived deeper into that and I kind of found out and I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I started reading. There used to be a site called E-Wrestling News and it was like, I remember reading, oh, um, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose get like, they got their names or they just, they'd started in FCW or something. And I remember reading about that back then and I was like, oh, who are these guys? And then, um, yeah, probably around 2011 is when, but so I would have been uh thir- 13 ah. 12 13 yeah oh so my gosh so I'm really old here because I have to go back to the year 2000 I was probably 13 years old and the newspaper was popular at the time so you could buy the paper at the store open it up and read it every single day and I remember I opened up the business section of the Atlanta Journal Constitution and I read about WCW and how much money they lost <laughs> in the year 2000 prior to being sold by WWE in March in March 2001 and I looked at the source of the article and it was PW Torch Pro Wrestling Torch and I went on that website every single day and that's how I became in the know about all things business in terms of professional wrestling news headlines storylines all that good stuff so around 13 years old I really became into the know and then as you get older you expand your horizons to the observer and other websites that have a lot of good information that is verifiable that is true and that you get good information from reliable sources so that was my start finding out that WCW was sucking in more ways than one in terms of being in the red and not the black in the year 2000 why did I pick up the business section that day I do not know but hey I learned the inner workings of the biz that way. And that is a pretty cool story by all of us as we express how we became fans beyond the ring, which leads to our lead topic this week regarding what it means to be a fan of WWE today. And I think that we're all fans deep down inside, but it's not just loving WWE. It's also being honest about what works and doesn't work within the framework of this company these days. And Scott and I had a very deep conversation regarding Survivor Series and the backlash, the women's elimination chamber match got not the elimination chamber match, but the Survivor Series match got in particular this past Sunday on pay-per-view and or Peacock and that the fans chanted for CM Punk. They did the wave. They were singing. They were doing anything but focusing on the match. And Becky Lynch came back on Monday Night Raw the next night and called them out on it. And that was the right thing to do. But we always got to go to the root cause of the issue 
why would the fans act out in the first place? And as we've talked about extensively on this show for the last few weeks, Survivor Series means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Every single year, nobody cares about two shows we watch every single week. There are no high stakes to think of. And all the infighting between the teams, between Raw and SmackDown, it means nothing when there's nothing meaningful on the line. So why should fans care at hour three and a half about a match with zero stakes despite the talent involved. And that does come down to WWE not servicing their fans when it comes to not giving them what they want. And you give us what we want to a point. You provide moments that pop us. Moments like John Cena's return at Money, in the, at Money in the Bank. That was a great moment in July. And we had a great match between himself and Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. And that was a nice moment. And you can pop us where great Money in the Bank moments. Big E winning was a great moment. Him cashing in on Bobby Lashley was a great moment. His reign so far has been pretty good. But it's always about the follow through. And as we go back to CM Punk 10 years ago, winning at Money in the Bank, the follow up was he disappears for a while. He comes back and loses to Alberto Del Rio. You're not exactly servicing your fans in terms of giving him a meaningful reign, which you did, but you never gave him that main event spot. You think about Brian Danielson now in AEW, he had the Yes Movement back in 2012 and 13, becomes the WWE champion, and you take it away, and it's because of Punk's departure that he gets into the main event of WrestleMania 30 and becomes the double champion. You think about the man Becky Lynch. That's all fan support. And at one point, WWE thought she would, be, she would be better off as a heel, and we fought back against that. You think about Kofi Mania, and I can't talk today, but an organic moment in WWE history, and he runs all the way from Elimination Chamber all the way to WrestleMania. It's a good reign, but look how it ends with Brock Lesnar beating him in eight seconds. You think about Seth Rollins, the same WrestleMania, beats Brock Lesnar, and his first feud is against Baron Corbin. You think about Becky Lynch winning the main event of WrestleMania against Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair, and she faces Lacey Evans for three months. So, yes, you provide the moments that the fans want, but where is the follow through? Where does it all make sense at the end of the day? And that list can go on and on and on and on. And as the fans, we don't expect everyone to get a push, but ultimately we do expect a good follow through regarding these championship reigns, regarding these moments meaning something beyond the pop of it all. So CJ, to you today, what does it mean as a fan of WWE that also critiques it via blogs and podcasts? What does it mean to you to get everything that you want as a WWE fan and so much more? When was the last time you was truly satisfied as a WWE fan from beginning to end regarding any championship reign or storyline? That is a very tough question. I mean, I mean, there were times in NXT over the past few years before it got transformed into just a blob of like splattered colors, but uh, that's really tough. When I was fully satisfied, I mean, I think WrestleMania 35, I mean, again, you talked about how the follow through was lacking because we had Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans and then all that but like I feel like on that night I was like damn they really did well here they get like because the thing going into that show I remember was okay we have Kofi going for a title we have Becky going for a title and we have Seth going for a title 
And because we know WWE, we thought there is no way we get all three. There is no way we get what we want there. And they gave it to us. And for one night, I thought, wow, damn, they really, you know, they really gave us everything. Like the main things that we wanted. Um, and I remember the December before that was when the McMahon family came out on TV and were like, we're listening to you now. And um, like, do you, do you guys remember that when they came out and it was a big thing and then nothing really changed? They said they were going to listen to us on Raw. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So again, like there was that. No one bought it. They gave us WrestleMania. That was really good. But then, yeah, I honestly think that night might have been the last time I was like, damn, I'm really satisfied with the WWE show. But at the same time, that show was like eight hours long and I was a zombie by the end of it. So, yeah, that would be the last time for me. All right, Scott, when was the last time you felt 100% satisfied with a WWE angle, a championship brain, something that left you like, damn, they did that right? So <clears throat> this may be unpopular opinion, but I was actually really satisfied with Bobby Lashley's reign. I, I thought Bobby Lashley had a really good title reign and was able to get a lot of mileage and get some good names under his belt. Um, I, I, I mean, I know that's one out of like, and, and you can name a lot of bad ones, but I, I think Bobby Lashley's last reign was really good. And I think the way it started, and it started in a way where you wanted to root for him and you wanted him to have the moment. And I think that helps with somebody who's having their first big championship win. I think it helps with the moment when you when you're rooting for them and you want them to have that moment. And the Miz was the perfect guy for him to have that moment against because nobody probably outside of me wanted to see the Miz as WWE champion. So it worked out really well because people were just were like, oh my gosh, this is great. Bobby Lash, I thought he had a strong reign. He got to beat Goldberg, which a lot of people can't say they get to do. So that's a nice notch in his belt as well. Uh, so I thought, I think he had a real good reign. Before that though... Now we start. Now we start really getting in the murky waters. Um, I was gonna say Bianca Belair until she got beat by thirty seconds in the follow up. What hasn't been there? Um, I mean, honestly, maybe Becky Lynch. You know, as far as the win, the title, and the only reason she lost the title is because she had to give it up. And I and I understand what you mean by her follow up with Lacey Evans wasn't that strong, but I thought the rest of her reign, as far as until she had to give it up was pretty solid. You know what I mean? I think everything else she did outside of that was good. Defending the belt against everybody was good. Even even the moment of her giving up the belt was kind of a, a cool moment and kind of a, you know, even though it wasn't the end, but a fitting kind of, you know, bookmark to that chapter. You know, her announcing the pregnancy and, and you know, handing the belt to Asuka or awarding the belt to Asuka who had won money in the bank. So, probably after that maybe you know so before Lashley probably Becky Lynch so there's not a lot in between there but those are probably two satisfying reigns because the Kofi reign just ended on such an eight second bummer um on a really solid reign so yeah those two for me 
I loved Bobby's reign as well. It happened at the right time. And I like the fact, at least in this case, that WWE built up Bobby's momentum that you noticed for months. He was winning matches. He weren't, he wasn't getting beat by anybody of note. He was running through the entire raw roster. So when he won, it was anticipated. It was expected and it made sense. And despite how much I loved you, McIntyre's reign as WWE champion, I was not mad when Bobby retained at WrestleMania. And unfortunately for Drew, I think he had a strong rain in a pandemic that people really would never get a chance to appreciate because people weren't there. And he actually had a nice lineup of opponents from Seth Rollins to Randy Orton to Dolph Ziggler to Bobby Lashley on several occasions. And all of those matches were pretty strong on pay-per-view, but unfortunately it was an empty buildings at all times. He never got the pop out of WrestleMania. And I think it's going to be a delayed gratification for him for some time. But to me, that was probably the last well-built reign in a pandemic pandemic that truly made sense from WWE from beginning to end. And Becky Lynch does get that honorable nod as well after Lacey Evans. It did get so much better with Asuka, so-so with Shayna Baszler. But that's how you want to have a title reign make sense from beginning to end. That when it's over, you feel satisfied about the outcome. You feel good about the journey and that it was worth it. And as CJ mentioned regarding NXT, that was probably the last time for like a stretch of four or five years that every storyline you felt satisfied every wrap up of a feud you felt complete you felt warm and fuzzy on the inside and that's a rarity when it comes to WWE despite the moments they provide in between so as we head ahead when we look ahead to 2022 it's almost the Warrior Rumble season almost Wrestlemania season upon us and we're trying to find ways for WWE to engage a fan base that is really trying their best to care about what WWE is presenting. But if they don't care, why should we? So as we head into this brand new season in about a month, what do you think WWE should do to engage a fan base that is a little weary this time of year, Scott? So one one concept that WWE had that I'm just shocked they haven't brought back because I thought it was a little ahead of its time and that, you know, especially the way social media has blown up. I think now would be the perfect time to do like a Cyber Sunday where you just let the WWE audience choose who wrestles. I mean, what better way to, you know, engage your audience and let them be in control than by literally letting the people choose who they want to win who they or who they want to be in the match? I mean, I, I think it's such a simple concept. And obviously, when you do it, you need to have a couple big title changes. So you need to be building pe- building guys and girls up for these moments. So when they get the, uh, you know, the the huge the vote totals and they get this enormous vote total, you know, you can kind of build off of that because the crowd will be anticipating it. Um, I, I think that's something you could easily do that people would like and social media would kind of eat up. They're actually doing that right now with NXT. Um, They have a poll up right now on WWE.com where they're saying vote on who you want to see in the match and they have each competitor from each team. And I I really like that because you can see some cool matchups like Pete Dunne versus Braun Breaker. That's a cool matchup. So like I I think something like that where you really just kind of let people have control of a show. You know, you you say Roman Reigns and your four choices are guys, you know, that, the, the you know, that 
that you know that the internet fans, that the casual fans are just like, yeah, we'd love to see him face Roman. Like people would like to see him versus, even though that you know he may not win, or you go big time. You say Edge is back. You know, Edge will come back if he gets voted in, or you know, you throw some bigger names out there. But I think that's a way a different way to engage your audience because you haven't done it in a while and it would feel different. I think it's been what, 12, 10, at least a decade since they last done it. That is true. And I like the concept. It's not on Tuesdays, not taboo Tuesday. Yeah. No taboo Tuesdays though. (laughs) No no taboo Tuesdays. (laughs) No. So CJ, what do you think WWE can do in early 22 as we're heading to WrestleMania season in order to engage a fan base Heading into their most important time of year, even though the money's guaranteed, you're trying to sell 100,000 tickets to Dallas, Texas for WrestleMania. And the tickets are moving okay, but give me a reason to buy a ticket. Buy me a reason to watch both nights. Give me a reason as a fan to care. It's so tough because I feel like it's so... The relationship between passionate wrestling fans and WWE is very broken. Because for, it's been so long that they've kind of not... I mean, they they care about what the fans think, but it's not fans first. Um, it's just the, the audience that the writers and the creative kind of plays to is Vince. And, like, I think it's one thing, and this is small, is, like, Vince will push someone for, like, three weeks and give up on them if they don't get over it. Like, sometimes it takes more than three weeks for someone to get over. I think just kind of stick with people you know, put more talent. Like there is so many people there and there's a lot that don't get on TV. Like kind of just, you know, have a bigger rotation, like give more people more minutes um, and just kind of stick with stuff and don't give up on it. Like I remember when guys like Cedric Alexander would get a push for three weeks and before Apollo had his new gimmick, it would be just him for three weeks. It just, you know, just kind of promote like more people, more different people and then, really listen to what the fans want and just kind of book in a way to like make the fans what plan what you want to give them. And if it's really not going to buy it, then just, you know, don't do it. But like, just listen to what the fans want. Um, it's just, it's just so tough. Cause this is really like a oh God, where do you start when it comes to WWE and the fans? Because um, if this isn't treading on anything, just, the five on five match, how the fans were reacting, I think really tells a story about the fans relationship with WWE, because if that happened, if that exact same match happened in an AEW ring, those chants would not happen at all because those fans are there because they love that promotion. I don't think people love WWE. They love going to the wrestling, if that makes sense. So it's a very complicated relationship to say the least, between the fans and WWE. I mean, there's people that love it and that, you know, don't really look at it like people like we do, but there is, it's, yeah, they, they very much insult the fans' intelligence a lot. So maybe stopping that too. But it's, yes. it's just, it's a big mess, to be honest. It is. And Scott mentioned, like, they like to play with us a lot of the time. Yeah. And off air, I said they play too damn much with us because there's always a give and take regarding this relationship. And I go back to when they first went back on the road back in July and you see that first show in Houston, Texas for SmackDown and they're hot for everything and you're excited. The fans are back. It's a good time. Once again, you get to money in the bank. It's equally as fun. And then I swear to God, reality set in. The next night on Monday Night Raw in Dallas and John Cena's there. The first segment is great. And then you realize 
this is the same fucking show as it was in the Thunderdome. It is still dry. It is still monotonous. It is still a struggle to get through. And the fans are not engaged. And and most Smackdowns are pretty good. I can't say that for the show we'll get to later in this episode. But it's all about what you give the fans to care about. And it's not very much. And Back in September, when those two weeks of AEW nipping at them in that key demo, that was the few times you saw a reinvigorated Monday Night Raw care. And they pushed Big E, they pushed angles that were hot shotted, but they cared. And the fans in turn cared. They got excited, they got engaged, and it was good TV. But you can't hot shot. You have to be consistent and pushing people that you have to trust. And as fans, you have to trust us to know that we know what's best in terms of who's going to get over. And Vince has to stop thinking with this antiquated mindset of, I know what the people want. Not really. You know to a point what we want, but you have to get out of that mindset of what you think works today, works back in the 80s and early 90s because that's no longer the case but it always boils down to who he's around and you're around a lot of people from those days that have not evolved their mindset of what of what professional wrestling is supposed to be today so that's where the toxic relationship between the fans and WWE comes from for every interview that Stephanie McMahon gives about we listen to our fans we put smiles on people's faces it's like it comes kind of hollow when we don't see that reflected on TV in a regular basis. And this goes back to Monday Night Raw in Brooklyn once again, a very kind of fiery crowd in a lot of ways, kind of pushing the superstars buttons a bit and the fans pushing back a bit. We saw the fan ambush on Seth Rollins, which was not cool. And Seth was very classy about the situation coming back out later in the show but this is definitely a give and take relationship it is 50 50 unlike the booking in terms of what you give fans and what the fans give back in return and it's a testy time to be a fan because you see what wwe is doing all the time with cuts to the roster sometimes every other month sometimes every other week and there is no stability if you like someone for one week they might not be here the next and that causes that additional tension between your fan base that wants to get behind people but you cut them far too soon before we really see their true potential so that's where i'm at right now i'm at like a situation where i'm a fan but it's very tough to really love up on this roster never knowing exactly when the other shoe is going to drop We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus. If you enjoy the Fight Game Media Network, check out Fight Game Media Network Plus at patreon.com front slash fight game media. We have three specific Patreon-only shows, and we'll soon have monthly bonus content from the show you're listening to right now, and it's just five bucks a month. So if you want to support your favorite podcast on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. I just, oh, oh you go ahead, Scott. You go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just going to say, you know, and people ask me, you know, well, how are you still a WWE fan? And I, I'm very quick to tell them, like, I, I like WWE, but I'm a fan of the, of the, of the wrestlers there. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, once, you know, if Randy Orton leaves WWE, I, I probably won't tune in for a little bit unless something happens. Like, like if if the people I tune in to see aren't there, I'm not going to tune in and watch. Like, there's just, there's people there that I want to see. And that's an over-exaggeration. If Randy leaves, I, I'll never watch again. But 
I, I wherever he goes, I will watch, you know, and the same can be said for, for some of the women, like wherever Asuka goes, I would go and watch. And, you know, she's a reason I, and obviously she's not there, but I'm waiting for her to come back. I know she's still there. I know she's going to come back. So for me, it's, it's the performers there. And if all those, because like you said, you don't know who's going to be there, who's not. So if all those performers that I'm, I'm, I'm tuning in to watch every week, if they're not there, then I won't be there. Like I'm not a W I'm a, I'm a rest. I'm a WWE fan because of who they have. If they don't have them, I can't say I'm a WWE fan still. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. Like WWE, what to kind of to what you were saying before, Keila, WWE doesn't go above and beyond to give to make the best show they can possibly make within reason on Raw. This is without hot shotting, right? And I said this to you on Twitter, Keila. AEW, and I'm sorry to bring AEW into this WWE thing, but it's relevant because look at how many people are going there and probably want to go there, and just how much they've grown in quality wise AEW, whether the show is good or bad to your taste they are trying their best to put the best dynamite on every single week they're like i think tony and whoever else is on creative goes okay let's how can we make this the best it can possibly be and i said to you keela AEW uses their time and wwe fills their time and there's a massive difference between those two things wwe has three hours on a monday two on a tuesday and two on a friday to fill with their content and aw has theirs and they are like okay let's put all the best stuff in whereas wwe is just like all right what are we going to do there's a big difference there and i think that's like wwe need to be like how can we put on the best show possible that people are going to want to see and maybe we can have better ratings if that makes sense Absolutely. And both points are so valid. And I'm with, I'm right with Scott because when this creator from WWE fell off a cliff three years ago and I had people defending it still, I got very agitated and I never get agitated as a fan. And for a time, I stopped talking about it. I stopped writing about WWE because I was becoming very bitter. And I've taken the Scott approach in that I've detached myself from the company and I roll with people I like within the company and I wish the best for all of them. That's where I'm at as a fan. I love WWE for the people that are there putting in the work, but in terms of the infrastructure, I can't stand it. And that's that ongoing battle between the fans and an infrastructure that is broken creatively and you can't latch on to the machine when the machine is broken. You only have to focus on the pieces and the pieces, the men and women, bust their asses all the time and they get bare minimum creative effort from WWE most of the time. And as CJ mentioned with AEW, at least you feel like there's an effort to put on the best possible show every single Wednesday. Is it always flawless? No, but you know they care and they don't have a mindset of, I know that I have a mindset of what wrestling is, but they don't force it upon their fan base. They give you what you want because it's what we want to see, is what we're used to. There's no antiquated mindset of what a star can be. They're not stuck on size. They're not stuck on height. They're stuck on the ability for somebody to get over organically with their fan base. And WWE has the exact same opportunity to use a roster that is incredibly diverse. It is incredibly gifted on the mic in the ring if you let them. But they have this old 
thought process that is so outdated that you can't break through that noise and that's where that frustration lies with the fan base that is hungry for you to break through and get into the 21st century of what wrestling is and what it not is anymore regarding the presentation if i can add one thing and i forgot to say this before about this is about vince mcmahon thinking he knows what people want I guarantee you he doesn't know how much a gallon of milk costs, so there is no way he could know what people want. I just wanted to add that in. When was the last time Vince went to a grocery store? Yeah, that, who knows? Have you heard the story about the TV? I'm not going to take too long, but do you know the story of the TV remote on mute with Vince McMahon? No, what happened? Scott, do you know it? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Okay, so... This is in the 90s and a bunch of the guys were at Vince's. This is how they used to do creative. They were at his house and he had a TV guy show up. And he's like, oh, yeah, in there, pal, the sound's not working. And the TV guy comes back like a minute later and he's like, oh, it was on mute. Like someone had pressed a mute button. And Vince had just called a TV guy because he just like, oh, it's not working. I'll just call a TV guy. And he just gives him $100 and says thanks and he leaves. Like that's the type of person we're dealing with you know, in the creative position. And this was 30 years ago. I couldn't even imagine now, but it's just Vince, Mc, anyone in Vince McMahon's position, like I don't understand how they think they could know what, you know, regular people want when they're just in such a different, like they're in that top 1%. And that story is just kind of to display how much, you know, he's in his own bubble. A bubble he's stuck in for life, yeah. apparently. And that leads into Monday Night Raw. And speaking of bubbles, let's talk about that damn Cleopatra egg, shall we? That began at Survivor Series this past Sunday on Peacock 8 Egg that allegedly cost $100 million. And this was a tie-in with The Rock's movie Red Notice, which is apparently the most streamed movie of all time on that platform. So congrats to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. But on Monday Night Raw, NBC Universal let Vince know, you're not going to say Netflix on this show. You're not going to mention this movie. This egg is going to be here as a prop and a prop only. And sure enough, this lame ass mystery was resolved with Austin Theory stealing the egg the night before and taking a selfie with it. Sami Zayn actually busted poor Austin Theory. But Austin Theory gets a shot at Biggie's WWE Championship because unlike Sami Zayn, he's not a snitch. So guys, how did you feel about this resolution to the lamest egg mystery in WWE history, CJ? The, uh, okay, the egg being $100 million <laughs> is like, okay, I, I don't know. Like this, this, it's a rotten egg scenario to me. Um, the egg being $100 million is absolutely egregious. Like this, this was written as if it was to make Vince look like he's out of his mind, which is kind of like art imitating life in a way. But yeah, I mean, if they were going to do a mystery, I thought drag it out for a few weeks. Like when, when the egg was missing in Survivor Series, I was like, oh, okay, I wonder who's got it. And I was kind of excited for like some sort of mystery, like where's the egg? And it was probably going to be very cheesy in its execution of this, um, you know, this mystery. But yeah, end of the show, Austin Fury, I was like, this was pointless. Um, it's just, yeah, it was just 
goofy. Like it's like a hundred million dollar egg. Who would even believe that? Like you didn't even have to say it was legit. You could have said this is like from a museum. It's a gift from the rock and it means a lot to me or something. And then, you know, they just have to go and make things so above and beyond as in like unrealistic, unbelievable. And it just ends as a total fizzler. And then he goes back on his word as he does in real life on this show. And Red Notice, um, I will probably never watch. So, yeah. Well, unlike Scott, who bought in on Pizza Hut at Survivor Series, I wonder if he bought in on this egg and watched Red Notice because of this mystery. So I haven't watched Red Notice yet, but um, I will. I will watch Red Notice at some point. So they're two for two. They got me again. Um, so this this egg mystery. Let's let's not let's not downplay this. This is um, probably this is going to be remembered along the lines of who ran over Austin, um, Vince McMahon's illegitimate son. Who blew up Vince McMahon? This oh. is this is all along those same lines of those iconic storylines. Um, when we get to Raw fifteen hundred, this is going to be one of those highlights played of Vince McMahon getting out the limo with the egg and dancing. And this is an all time. This is an all timer as far as storylines go. Um, I mean. It's, this what what is going on in the mind of Vince McMahon that he thought this was a good idea to extend this out to two nights and then he put it on raw and what really pissed me off even more is Austin Theory is a guy that I think could be somebody you build around he should be a future main eventer. He should be being groomed the way they used to groom Randy Orton back in the day when he was with Evolution, when he was the legend killer and he was protected. He got big wins. He had mentors. That's how they should be doing Austin Theory. And instead, they're sandwiching him to this silly gimmick. And, you know, it's why not have like, why wouldn't you flip this? Why wouldn't you have Sami Zayn get the title shot here? Because Austin Theory doesn't get as much in a loss against Big E with the offense he got in. And let's say he does, let's say he gets that title shot against Roman. Obviously, we know Sammy's not going to win either. So why not have Austin just flip it and somehow Austin get that title shot instead for the whatever they do it and have him get those type of big, big like moments in a big match against Roman? Because that doesn't do anything against a Big E, where if you have Sami Zayn do it, that's a good win for Big E because he's going to get a, a much not against not nothing against Austin Theory, but Sami Zayn is just he's that guy in the ring and you're going to get a better match. And Sami's a better heel to get the crowd to hate him. I don't think that people really hate Austin Theory like that. To be honest with you, I, I think there's something about Austin that people like and kind of want to root for. People hate Sami Zayn and that's what you want in your heel. So it just pisses me off that. Austin Theory is associated with this. Um, and, it, you know, Vince McMahon, like, he shouldn't even be on TV right now. Like, <laughs> when he used to show up on TV, like, I used to get excited because I knew something big was coming, whether it was a big match, a big return, a big storyline start. Now this guy shows up and just brings golden eggs. Like, and they ain't even, they ain't even got chocolate in them. They just golden eggs. Like, there's no chocolate inside like, where you can unwrap it or something. So, like, I don't even know what the point of the egg is if there's no chocolate in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. 
Oh my God. I have so many things to unpack right now. So I don't know what's going to happen first. Will it be raw 1500 or raw 30 in a couple of years? And to know this damn egg is going to be in that highlight reel of moments (laughs) in raw history that we will never forget. I'm afraid of that. First of all, second of all, Scott, you nailed it on the head regarding what they could have done with Sami Zayn on Monday versus what they did on Friday, because that was egregious. We'll get to it. But you could have killed two birds with one stone and and at least have one championship match make sense on Monday regarding Sami Zayn having one good day and a half. But we'll get to SmackDown soon. But the way you solve that problem like that and protect Awesome Theory from this bullshit, I have no words. But let's continue on with Monday Night Raw as we get into Seth Rollins, a topic we've talked about on this show before. And it goes back to our top story of WWE versus their fans. And I've noticed this more and more now that Seth Rollins and this damn theme music, this damn choir coming in the background and the fans singing along. And I'm thinking to myself at some point, despite how this dude's presented, he is going to eventually get over as a babyface once again. It's starting already right now. You hear the Brooklyn crowd humming along to his theme song. He's out there. They're singing to him. It's great. And how long will it take for WWE between now and possibly WrestleMania season for them to realize that Seth Rollins, outlander suits and all, is better suited as a lovable, fighting, badass babyface that people can get behind Scott? Do you think WWE will listen? to their fan base who's singing to Seth Rollins on a regular basis. Don't let him be this monotone talking heel. Let him be a badass, fun-loving baby face once again. So I, I'm actually a little torn on it because I think I think he's he's slowly getting away from the monotone heel and he's becoming this more flamboyant and and just outlandish heel where he's just loud and he's really just out there I really like it, and I know the fans are probably are going to turn him organically, and you can hear him singing his theme music. It's awesome. Um, they don't even have to hand out any words for it, and there are people who sing along to it. Um, I, I, I don't know, man, because I feel like if they turn him, he's going to become like too white meat, and I don't, I don't want the white meat Seth Rollins. Like, you know, I, I want burn it down Seth freaking Rollins, who just said a few things and was fired up, and then would go and put a classic on. And I don't think we're gonna get any type of Rollins face turn until he eventually faces Roman Reigns for the Universal Title. And I, I, I think that's happening at some point, whether it's a Royal Rumble match. Or at some point, that's happening, him versus Roman. And I think that's where, at some point, we'll begin to see the face turn. And I kind of hope they leave him like this when he goes after Roman. And the Roman match is what turns him back into, like you said, the Seth freaking Rollins that we all knew and loved. And and like and the fans got behind to get him to the main event. You talked about that connection. You talked about listening to the fans that's that's how you get the fans to take that journey. Right now we're on that journey. We've seen the evolution from Seth all the way from the fiend loss to him becoming the 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 Messiah that nobody liked to him becoming this outlandish heel that everybody loves. The next step is to get this kind of, you know, outlandish side beat out of him to where he's like, "All right, 
I'm back. I feel the people with me. I'm back with the people. So I, that's the journey. And I, for, for me, I don't think it happens until we get the match with Roman. Because I think Roman is one of the few guys who, who the fans will 100% get behind Seth Rollins against. All right, CJ. Are you following the journey of Seth going from Messiah to now flamboyant heel with babyface Tennessee's with this crowd singing his theme song a lot as of late? When will WWE finally embrace Seth Rollins as a babyface once again? I just first want to say that the Messiah Seth Rollins gimmick was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I... I really liked his old music and that's kind of like a big part of the kind of where I'm torn on this because I feel like they change everyone's music so much um, that it kind of you just sometimes be like, wait, who is this when someone comes out? But the, the, the sing-along is catching on. I think he has been healed for like it's, it's it feels like it's time and even when he got attacked by the fan, I was like, man, if he played the I'm a dad I'm a new dad card and like, you know, like that I can't believe this happened or whatever. If there was a way they could twist that into him becoming a baby face, because that would be cool because it's playing off reality. But I agree that I definitely agree that the Roman match feels like a really big thing because they've been kept apart for a long time since I feel like they've been kept apart since like the shield broke up two years ago. And when Moxley left, but yeah, he was just such a good baby face, I remember. And they ruined it with the Fiend match. And I would like to see him be a baby face again. But, man, when he won that title at WrestleMania 35, I was like, he could be like the new, not like the 2019 version of like 94 Bret Hart. Just the great wrestler. He's always going to put on a classic. And he's he was so likable. I just, yeah, I don't know. He could be too white meat and they can't book baby faces to save their life. But mm, I don't know. I I've, I think he's better as a baby face. I just don't trust WWE with his um, presentation. But yeah, I I can see it for sure. I can definitely see it coming. I see it down the road as well. The Roman match is definitely money. It was teased on SmackDown last year and a bit this year as well. Did not quite happen, but apparently they're waiting for it. I don't know how long they can wait as Roman's reign is going to be pretty damn long at this point. I'm not complaining about it at all, but having Seth Rollins as a babyface is someone that can step up to Roman and have great matches and to see where they are now versus their last matches against each other maybe three or four years ago is really going to tell how much they've grown as men, as performers, as fathers in a lot of ways as well to really deliver the goods in the ring with the story to back it up and the promo ability to match on both sides. But I maybe see this turn happening in six months or so officially. But as the more the fans sing this song and they get behind him, you kind of see that sea change happening. Hopefully it won't be at the expense of big Biggie's WWE Championship reign, but we shall see. And our final topic surrounding Monday Night Raw is the changing of the guard regarding the women's tag team champions. Queen Zelina and Carmella are the new champions. I wish I could care about their reign because there are hardly any tag teams of note in WWE wrapping the ladies at this point. And this leads to Rhea Ripley, who has been a powerhouse 
everywhere she's went from NXT UK to NXT to her early days on Monday Night Raw until she has been stuck in a tag team with Nikki Ash, who I like a lot as well. But they never gelled to me as a team. This reign as women's tag team champions was pretty underwhelming. And now the title reign is over. And on top of that, Nikki Ash has been noted as the weak link by Zelina and Carmella, left off of the Survivor Series team despite being one half of the women's tag team champions. Saria Ripley, who can be a force on Monday Night Raw, can be a threat to a Becky Lynch somewhere down the road, can have a great feud against Bianca Belair very soon, but she is stuck in this tag team. Now, without the championship, what should Rhea Ripley do? Should she turn on Nikki Ash? Should she beat her ass and be a heel? Or should she still be a babyface and they go their separate ways and she still has nothing of note to do on Monday Night Raw? CJ, to your Australian sister out there, yeah. what should Rhea Ripley do? Should she be a babyface still or should she turn on Nikki Ash and beat her ass six ways a Sunday? What should the Queen of Australia do? I think just turn heel and just shit can Nikki Ash because the, when she was brought up, she was kind of heel, but not fully full tilt heel. And then she turned baby face and she's currently a baby face. I just think that look, that presence, it will be more effective in WWE as a heel. And you don't have to do the Becky match right away because a very heel Rhea Ripley against Becky Lynch, who I'd say is like 60% baby face and 40% heel, like the crowd's going to go for Becky, especially if Rhea does like a hospitalization angle against Nikki Ash or a medical center, medical facility angle with Nikki Ash. And she beats Liv, which needs to happen she just beats everyone else in the division um and then you build to the becky match at when's wrestlemania four months that feels kind of soon if you really want to build it but i guess i can just kind of do it um yeah i think just go heal be a killer and but then if it's too cool the fans will like her which is a problem so i don't know maybe do some australian healthcare superiority gimmick or I don't know but like <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's great I think that's a fantastic just idea. tap into Brett in 97 but the Australian version um, the <laughs> as far as the tag titles it's I don't know why they made tag titles for the NXT uh, brand as well because there is no depth in the division on the main roster if it went between the three brands uh, That would be better just a quick note on that. But yeah, just go full heel Australian um, Yeah, that's that's what I think Rhea should do All right, Scott, I don't think nothing's gonna top pro Australian healthcare, <laughs> but what should WWE do with Rhea Ripley? Should she flip on Nikki Ash beat her ass send her to a local medical facility or she should be a babyface powerhouse instead. Nah, she should low key do the uh, the healthcare idea. I think <laughs> I think that's it right there. But um, no, it, it, honestly, I actually I'm kind of leaning the complete opposite way. So me personally, I think Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair 
should as they are be on or they should they should be on separate brands as they were and they should both just be being built up on their brands and you know two years down the road because they were the final two last year Bianca eliminating Rhea I would have Rhea eliminate Bianca this year you know Mm -hmm. keep them apart for another year the following year we have those two finally meet up and have this one-on-one match as they've been built up as these two dominant baby faces on each brand. That's how I thought they were going to do it. And I didn't even mind them having Rhea in this tag team with, with Nikki Ash, because eventually it's going to run its course like it has. And then you can kind of break off and I would just have them, you know, maybe have Rhea be an ultimate baby face and give Nikki Ash this pep talk where she fires her up and is like, listen, you're a former women's champion. You did this, your former money in the bank, you know, give her this great pep talk where she just shows how, you know, how good of a friend she is. And she shows the, the type of baby face you want on your side. You get people seeing like, oh, she's a really good person. She wants what's best for her. But then at the very end, she's like, but I got some stuff I need to handle too. And you can have Rhea go back to the NXT UK Rhea, who was just headbutting people, or even the NXT one who was just headbutting people and kicking people's faces off. And you go back to her and have her just maul. Now we do what CJ said and just maul through the division. But I think you can do it as a baby face. And I think you have her do that. And you keep, and I think Bianca is going to be fine. I think she'll recover and rebound from the Becky stuff. But you have them on separate brands and you keep them apart and they don't touch in the ring except in the Royal Rumble where they're the final two and then the following year that that would have been my plan for what you do with those two because those are two women you build around because Rhea is a star and she has a presence about her that a lot of those wrestlers male or female don't have when she when her music hits there's a different energy that hits regardless of what she's doing regardless of what storyline she's in when her music hits there's a different vibe that comes over there even the crowd you can feel it like her reaction is organic so that's what i would do with Rhea. i'd keep her baby face and have her just maul her way through win the rumble i'd have her beat charlotte at wrestlemania because i think that's a win she still needs to get back she's still owed a charlotte victory and mania is the place to do it for sure. And I like the hybrid Rhea Ripley, Rhea Ripley as the baby face with that NXT edge she had a few years ago going up against Shayna Baszler, not afraid to run up on the NXT Women's Champion saying, bitch, I got you. I got you. Don't you worry about it. I want your championship. I got next for your title. And that's the Rhea Ripley I miss. She wasn't just smiling Rhea Ripley. She was mean mugging. But, you know, she was over as a baby face that you can buy as an ass kicker that would run through any division at any given time. And I totally agree about separating Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley off these shows away from each other because I think that is a future WrestleMania main event in the next two three years and Rhea like the announcers like to say she's only 25 years old she has a lot ahead of her in terms of longevity in terms of evolving as a character constantly and as for Nikki Ash who I like a lot as well I just want her to ditch this character at this point it was a nice experiment for a time but I think her best work would actually be with an equally crazy Alexa Bliss when they when she comes back and they get back to being a crazy ass tag team that's where they're best suited at together being absolutely insane. You know, I also wouldn't be opposed to maybe Rhea Ripley bringing back, getting Nikki to bring back the Nikki Cross. Like you said, kind of that that gimmick too. I, I could see Rhea Ripley maybe bringing that back out of her. I don't know what they're doing with Alexa Bliss. 
Like, who, who knows how she's going to come back? We don't know if she's going to come back as a doll. We don't know if she's going to come back as Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh. Hocus Pocus. We don't have a clue how Alexa Bliss is coming back or if she's coming back. She could be uh, blissless Alexis when she comes back and, you know, have this like voodoo type thing where she's like Zatanna from the DC comics and all her spells she has to say backwards. So we have no idea what's going on with her. So I'm not even counting on her coming back anytime soon because there's no reason she should have been off TV to begin with this song. So I, I ain't even counting on her. I I'm afraid that. now. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm scared. What is the nice way of saying I forgot about Alexa Bliss because that's what I want to say. Um, I, <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like I definitely think to go back to Rhea and Bianca, I think they should be on separate brands. That's That was a mistake putting Bianca on Raw with Rhea Ripley. Um, yeah, that's it's a real just... That NXT Rhea Ripley was so great. That When she won the NXT title, that was like the last great NXT moment. Um, yeah. It was Crowd just, in there putting her on her shoulders, great. Yeah, that was insane. And then nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I wonder what they'll do with Alexa Bliss. That's interesting. Maybe she'll be like a Scarlet Witch or something. They want to like be Marvel, Sabrina. right? Yeah, yeah. I like Sabrina too. Like she can come back as Sabrina the Teenage Witch and do a lot of voodoo. I'm scared as to what the results will be, but that is a wild card. We do not know how she's coming back. And that is going to be intriguing whenever she does come back between now and presumably the Warrior Rumble. I'm scared, y'all, but we're going to pray on it nonetheless. Is she injured? And I think she had some kind of no surgery and she's also getting married soon. So that might be a double whammy as to oh, okay. why she's off television. That but makes sense. yes, but I'm presuming Warrior Rumble return as who and what we don't know. As Scott said, she could be a doll for all we know. She could be Lily reincarnated. And that is terrifying to say the least. But I will give Rhea Ripley a star of 2021 when she did not allow Alexa to try any of that voodoo shit at the Warrior Rumble. She tossed her ass out of there so quick. Like smart girl. Smart, smart, smart. Don't buy into that voodoo shit. But speaking of NXT, the old NXT, that, that thing's dead, y'all. It's gone. Poof. It's now time for NXT 2.0. And we have War Games coming up next Sunday on Peacock War Games. No NXT TakeOver, just War Games. And we have the card set for War Games. And we have an idea that was actually concocted by our very own Paul Fontaine as he predicted old school NXT versus 2.0. And the teams are very interesting, rep representing the new NXT. We've got Grayson Waller, who's changed his personality about five times in two months. We've got Tony D'Angelo. We've got Braun Breaker. Braun Breaker and Tony D'Angelo on the same team. Moments, y'all. And rounding out the crew is the reigning defending NXT North America champion, Carmelo Hayes, representing the OG NXT let me say that again. Representing the OG NXT. Let's see which one of these names are not like the other. <laughs> we have the reigning defending NXT champion at Tommaso Ciampa. Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano, and possibly his final appearance ever at an NXT event. We shall see about that. Pete Dunne, the Bruiserweight. And I had no idea he was around this promotion yeah. I was, trying to, 
<laughs> yeah. I've been around here a long time. Yeah. Let me talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The first Sorry. time, the first time I've been broken on this show. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I'm going to get it together. No, take your time. Take your time. Because take your time. <laughs> both of you are wrong for that. <laughs> <laughs> but rounding out this lineup is a noted, apparently, OG of NXT since February. Noted NXT lifer LA Knight rounds out this team. And that's an interesting lineup. And I look at both teams and I can only see one possible outcome. Braun Breaker pins Ciampa to get a shot at the NXT Championship, presumably at a takeover sometime in 2022, if we still call it a takeover. But Scott, you take over because I'm still recovering from LA Knight being an NXT veteran for life for some reason. I don't know why, but he's a lifer since February of 2021. So, you know, we, we got we got the lifetime guy LA Knight on the on the OG squad. <laughs> but we but we got we got cool Kyle over there chilling with chilling with no no you know same face Wagner. You know, Jim Cornette calls Johnny Gargano same face. Has he seen Von Wagner? <laughs> like this dude, when that guy cut that promo, oh my gosh. I mean he was like he was really trying to pronounce and like and enunciate words that shouldn't have been enunciated. He said dumbass and like was like, yeah, <laughs> dumbass. Like, like he was questioning himself if he was supposed to say that. Like, wh- why what is go like <laughs> why wouldn't you have Kyle O'Reilly with the OGs, man? Like that's a, that's the last hoorah. Like, that's the story. That's a great little story. You have these the original guys like that's a that's a cool little story right there but no instead they got la and la Knight actually would have been a perfect addition to the new to the new guys instead of you know i i like tony d'angelo as a character but that guy shouldn't be in a war games match like what like we have two war games matches that could potentially be two of the worst matches of the year you like in all seriousness like that women's match could be really bad like that that women's match has the potential to be really bad just because i mean it could be good too you're going to get a huge spot from io shirai you're going to get a big dive no doubt um i think as long as they keep it simple it'll be solid but it could be really bad and the guys match it could <sighs> that's a risky thing to do man and i guess that's why they're doing it on it's just, this is a network special right this is going to be on peacock Okay, so I okay, I think that's probably why they're a little bit more, you know, willing to do that and have these matches because I'm they certainly wouldn't put this on national TV and have these types of matches on there. Um, All that said, I I thought the last episode of NXT was probably the best episode they've put out yet, as far as advancing stories, good matches. Grayson Waller versus Champa was a really good match. I, Grayson Waller's starting to grow on me. I think he's starting to figure out how to be this arrogant heel and play off of the internet and use that. So I, I kind of like, he's growing on me. He had a good match with Champa. Um, I thought Carmelo Hayes 
that guy gets better every single week. He is going to be, or let me not let me not say that because we don't even know if he's going to be there next week. He <laughs> should be a star and should be a like he should be somebody that's called up really soon because I, I think he's got everything you could look for. He's got a swag about him. He's got a confidence about him, and and trick. That dude is the perfect hype man and the best one of the best fast talkers you could have in your background. Like I I love what they're doing with Carmelo and Trick right now. And I, I, I like the build. Again, I thought it was a really good match. You know, I Braun Breaker coming out screaming war games was that's I guess that's that's all we can expect from Braun at this point. They're gonna make him do as limited stuff as possible. So that's fine too. But yeah, I, I'm more intrigued to see what's going to happen with these War Games matches because it's, it, it, you know, I don't have no idea what's going to happen with them. CJ, your thoughts on War Games. And let me holler at you. Let me talk to you about LA Knight, longtime seasoned veteran of NXT, rolling down the road since 2021. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was in NXT like last year, but no, it was earlier this year. (laughs) I think Tony D'Angelo thought the contract said whack games, but that was, he misread. Yeah. Look, I love the Sopranos. I get a kick out of the character, but it's like, is he the best choice to be in this like new generation war games thing? It's weird. There was, there's like a similar storyline in the promotion that Grayson Waller was in, where his uh, people of his ilk were kind of against the older generation. Um, and it was better done than this. But, yeah, I mean, this is war games now. You know, it used to be... I remember how crazy the first one was. And then as they did it at the same time every year, it kind of felt less special each time. But it was sort of like... You got excited for it. Um, I just... I kind of like don't want to watch this in a way, which is kind of sad. I mean, I'll watch it because that's what I do. But yeah, this whole thing is just, they've really just changed NXT for the, for the worst. I think Johnny's gone. And I think I agree that Braun Breaker, worst name, will pin Champa. And like, what is Joe Gacy, you know? I don't know this. I'm just, I feel like I still watch every week, but it's just, it's just such a puzzling show. This week was one of the better episodes, but yeah, I kind of look at this card and I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, I just, I, don't, I really just don't know what to say about this whole thing. Um, it just feels like the main event is a way for Braun Breaker to get a big win on his way to being, uh, the, the new ace of NXT. It's um, it's kind of sad, to be honest. I have mixed feelings about this show every single week, and I like the idea of what they're trying to make NXT be. 
But the problem is we have a lot of old people trying to project what they think we want to see as the younger generation trying to tune in every single week. But still, you're catering to a very older, older fan base. And you have this idea from 1992 or 93 superstars or 93 Monday Night Raw, the doldrums of professional wrestling, mind you. Like none of these ideas worked regarding one dimensional characters. Why would you think it would work in 2021? Nothing has changed regarding those bad ideas being still pretty damn bad but despite the mixed feelings I have regarding NXT most weeks this was a better show than usual the last couple of weeks were trash I'm not gonna even gonna lie it was really bad this week was a bit better and for all of its flaws which are many I do feel as if this war games could be sneaky good I have a little bit more faith in the women's match my only fear is Jesse Jane and those fucking ropes if they don't agree with each other it's going to be a disaster and I hope she's practicing a lot over the next week or so because she to me she's good but those ropes in her those high spots they don't gel together at all and that could be disastrous you got Kaylee Ray you got Raquel in there who was there last year EO three times vet you got Dakota Kai you got people I trust not to have this match fall off a cliff but Jesse Jane, watch out for her. My only concern regarding high shit and those ropes. As for the men, you got a solid team despite LA Knight being a one-year dude. Well, less than one year, season OG NXT vet on this team. You do got four season vets on one side. You got maybe two and a half on the other side with Carmelo and Grayson Waller, Tony D'Angelo. We're going to pray for him. We really are. Hopefully he does very little in this match. Pays off somebody to take most of the bumps. As for Bond Breaker, I expect this dude to do crazy shit inside of War Games. I truly believe that. He could have a breakthrough performance. Tony D'Angelo, protect him at all costs. But I do see the potential of these matches being at least good. Will they be great? You never know. When you got at least four or five pieces, Season Vesta can go out there and try to put together the best possible match. I do have faith, but both sides need a little bit of Jesus, in all honesty. And speaking of Joe Gacy... I cannot believe I'm going to sit here on this show today and mention that Joe Gacy and I have something in common. And no, it's not that we both like cults. Only he rose that way, not me. But he is going to be challenging for the Cruiserweight Championship against Roddy Strong at TakeOver. My bad. War Games, not TakeOver for the Cruiserweight Championship. And he talked about how the championship is exclusive to men of his size. And he wants to change that. And I cannot believe I'm about to agree with Joe Gacy, but I am. Because I look at the Cruiserweight division and I look at it like, who are the challengers? Who can challenge Roddy Strong for this championship? And you have 205 Live. It's not 205 Live anymore everybody's over 205 Live. You've got women's matches on 205 Live, which is good. They're all from NXT. It should be called NXT Plus at this point. Extra, NXT Extra, NXT 3.0 to get people who can't make the main show, at least on Peacock, get over in a meaningful way to make TV at some point. So if 205 Live is dead and the Cruiserweight division is nothing to speak of, then why don't you make the NXT Cruiserweight Championship an open weight title, open to all weight classes and divisions, and actually give this title a bit more meat on the bone. So CJ, despite me agreeing with Joe Gacy for reasons I don't understand, would you like to see the Cruiserweight Championship rebranded as an open weight championship? I think that if they 
rebrand the cruiserweight title they should just merge it into the north american title because that is also an open weight secondary championship and then if because what makes the cruiserweight title what kind of justifies it its existence is the weight limit so if you have two secondary titles it's like well which one means more and why and i think nxt already has this this company has a problem with too many belts and even the raw and smackdown have just one secondary title so if yeah if they do um sort of make it an open weight title which I don't hate the idea of because it's kind of looking like they want to sign people who aren't are bigger than cruiserweights anyway. And, you know, a lot of the people who are cruiserweights are leaving. Like, even though Adam Cole wasn't in that division, he's a smaller guy, he left. Um, Johnny's probably going to leave. And I'm forgetting someone else. But, yeah, you know, I when the North American title first started, I thought it could have been like a heavyweight belt to kind of offset the cruiserweight, but yeah, just merge into the North American title and just, I mean, was, you say 205 Live is dead, but was it ever really alive? Really? You know, it was, it was never what they wanted it to be. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I stand on it. All right, Scott, should we rebrand this championship or maybe take CJ's idea and merge the cruiserweight and North America championships together? So I I think I kind of know what what they're trying to do with Joe Gacy, or I, I I feel like I have an idea. You know, there's a lot of TNA creatives back there, and I I, I could be wrong, but I think when Abyss won the X Division title, there was some type of weight stipulation with it, because wasn't the, I, I think you had to be under a certain weight to even compete for the X title for a while or maybe it was Joe or something like that but I know Abyss or maybe it was Kevin Nash who did something like that with the X title um, and he had all the smaller guys going after him and I feel like they're trying to do that with Joe Gacy maybe have him win since he's overweight but then he only defends it against guys who are under the weight so he kind of gets that extra heat and then you build up this cruiserweight who's going to come in and beat the big monster the only problem is Joe Gacy is far from a monster and like He's not that big of a guy, like in in any type of way, like you know whether it's the how far out his belly goes or how how high his head is, like he's not that big of a guy. So I I think that's what they're going for, what they're going to try to do, because I actually think Joe Gacy's going to win. Uh, I think he's going to beat Roddy Strong for this title. Um, so I, I think that's what they're trying to do and have Joe Gacy be this big monster in this small division, but he's not that big of a guy and he's not that much of a monster. You know, it'd be different if he had his, you know, Harlan, you know, and even Harlan's really, uh. maybe Har- Harlan doesn't really seem that big or maybe, maybe I'm underestimating how big they are because they're all like the same size, but they just don't seem like that big of guys to me to be. If this is what they're going for with this storyline, um, I actually thought I'm actually not opposed to them getting rid of the cruiserweight title, but I was more in line of the light heavyweight title just because I like the way the belt looks. Um, and that could be something you could do with Joe Gacy since he is kind of a, a quote unquote light heavyweight. So you could kind of up the weight scale. Um, and maybe that's the storyline with Roddy. He wants to bring the cruiserweight back and he's and Gacy's trying to keep it at a light heavyweight. So you could do something with that. But I just I say light heavyweight because I like the way the belt looks. 
That was a nice belt. And I think in this day and age, cruiserweights are like big dudes that can fly as well. We typecast cruiserweights as guys that are little, but Adam Cole, Finn Balor, Ciampa, Gagano, they were, they, they were small guys that were all former NXT champions. They weren't classified as cruiserweights. So I just think you need to take away the weight limit of what it means to be a cruiserweight. Anybody can work any style, any size these days, and it's time for WWE to kind of limit that mindset of like, oh, we have to have a title for the cruiserweights when you don't really push them. And on top of that, big guys got hops too. And just stop with the weight restrictions. Just, just have open championship that can get more people on the show and try to get more people over in the process. And the fact that Joe Gacy and I agree with that is a sad day for me as someone that covers this show extensively on a regular basis. But enough NXT talk as we get ready for TakeOver. No, not TakeOver. Got to break those habits. War Games next Sunday on Peacock. Let's briefly talk about Friday Night Smackdown on Fox this past Friday night. And I have to say, with all honesty, this show sucked. I did not like this show at all. And what happened at the very end of the show leads into our lead topic once again. In that Jeff Hardy, North Carolina zone, Jeff Hardy got a hometown victory in a tag team match alongside Drew McIntyre against Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. And then we have a main event of a Black Friday Battle Royal Invitational. Jeff Hardy makes it to the finish line, wins the match, the bell rings or so we think, but Sami Zayn was never eliminated from the match. He was gone through the ropes, not over them. And at the last possible moment, Sami Zayn tosses Jeff Hardy over the ropes to win the Battle Royal, crushing the hometown's hopes and dreams because of heat. And Sami Zayn, who I really like a lot as a performer, if this was NXT Sami Zayn 2016, 2017, before the heel turn Sami Zayn, I would be absolutely fine with him challenging Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. Conspiracy theory, Sami Zayn? Not so much. Zero credibility as a threat. When he won, Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman and Usos laughed at this result. And the worst part is, as soon as the show went off the air, Caleb Braxton announces that Brock Lesnar's indefinite suspension has been lifted and he'll be back on SmackDown this upcoming week. And that shits all over Sami Zayn's victory even more. So, CJ... What do you think about this situation regarding Jeff Hardy not getting the win in his hometown and Sami Zayn being a lame duck challenger to Roman Reigns' championship? Uh, The Jeff Hardy thing is stupid. They should have seen the reaction to his win in the earlier match and just said, okay, let's just change the finish. If they had come up with the finish at that point in the show, we're not sure if they had planned that far ahead. Um... The fi- that battle royal finish is so overdone as well. It was just they just don't learn that you know everyone likes to see the hometown person win their match. You know, um, it's I was so annoyed when that happened. Um, Sami Zayn is just so I just don't care for him at the moment. This gimmick's just so stale. Um, I, I tell you what, I just had a thought as you were saying this. Imagine if he turned up for the Roman Reigns match and he's cut his hair and he's trimmed the beard and he's back in his old tights and it's, it's, it's the old baby face. It would be kind of illogical, but I think it would just be such a cool thing that maybe you just look the other way. Uh, the match would be really good, 
And it would be even better if it was 2016, 15 Sami Zayn. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a wrong move. Jeff Hardy should have won because he's, it, it was in North Carolina. So he was over, um, really, really over. But he's like the most over guy on the show most of the time anyway, that isn't in the main event scene. He always gets a massive reaction. I think he's got one of the highest approval ratings of any of the wrestlers on these shows. So yeah, it was, it was a mistake. Scott, what's your thoughts on hometown heat for Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn pulling out the win? So I I do want to say I as far as CJ's idea with Sami Zayn cutting his hair and doing all that I I'm actually not opposed to that at all especially if he came out and cut one of his great babyface you know fiery babyface promos that he used to cut you know he's like you know I I know what I needed to do to win the big one before and I needed the people so I went I'm back to how how I was and you know I want the people back on my side and then and this is what I need to do you know cut some type of promo like that and explain the change and explain why he did it you know you can you can absolutely especially with wwe you do something like that that's that's light years ahead of what they normally do so i'll take that so you give me that promo that's that'll be good you know especially with Sami Zayn, somebody who can cut a good baby face promo yeah i wouldn't be opposed to that i think that's that would work especially for a one-off type thing and then you can you can run with that reaction afterwards as far as the jeff hardy thing there's only two two ways that they there's only two logical logical explanations for what's going on um obviously i know who i'm speaking of we're talking about the guy who has the golden egg again with no chocolate inside of it but we're talking about logical explanations for what's going on so let's let's let me try to be logical about all this they have to either be building towards a jeff hardy surprise royal rumble win and giving him a big um, you know, mania match against Roman Reigns where, you know, you're like, y- you can't believe it, but he just might do it. You know, he starts picking up these big wins. And so maybe they're building that up for that because that's what other reason do you keep having Jeff Hardy comes this close to a big victory? Keela, we just talked about it with the Survivor Series show. Jeff Hardy was this close to a big victory and the crowd was ready. The crowd was ready to just explode. If he would have pinned Seth Rollins, that place would have went nuts. Same thing tonight. Like they were ready. They were with it. So I think it has to be building towards, I think Jeff Hardy, he might, I think as I'm thinking about it and thinking about it more, he's slowly becoming one of my favorites to win the Rumble. One, because they keep giving you these moments and taking them away at the last minute. I feel like they have to be building to you, to giving you that big moment. Um, And the only other explanation is they're like, we don't care if you leave. We know you're leaving. So let's just keep beating you and putting you in these spotlights. So then when you go to the other company, you're already a made man and people already have sympathy for you and you come in as a top baby face. You know, like we've never done that before, but that's that's what we're going to do with you. We're just going to beat you down because we know when you go to wherever you're going to go, it's not going to help you and you're not going to go over there as a top baby face. Even though every time they do that, that's exactly I mean, even, even Matt Hardy went over there and became a big deal. So imagine what a guy like Jeff Hardy would do. So those are the only two explanations I can think of is WWE is being just uh, illogical about it and thinking they can just beat this guy to the ground and let him go or 
they're building towards a huge Jeff Hardy Royal Rumble win to set up him because he said that's his that's his match. That's what he wants. They're setting up him versus Roman Reigns for WrestleMania because I think Roman is going to face Brock at the Royal Rumble. I don't think we get Roman Brock at Mania. I know that's what it seems like we're building towards, but I don't think we get that. And the Sami Zayn thing, um, you know, I touched on it earlier. I think that's I think that's the way to go. I, I think that's the only way to make this work and to even give you a shot. And you and you got to have him come out strong. Have him hit a hell of a kick right off the bat. I mean, as soon as the bell rings, maybe have Roman look at the crowd and he turns around, hell of a kick right off the bat. The crowd is right into it right there. I mean, you've got the crowd hooked right off the bat. They're ready to go. Because Roman's been this top dog. You have Sami Zayn come in. He's already cut a, ba- a fiery babyface promo. That's the way to go about it, man. So that, that's what I, that's how I, I feel about SmackDown and, and the Roman situation and Sami Zayn. I love all the scenarios. Will WWE take any of them under consideration? We shall see. I love the idea of Jeff possibly winning the Warrior Rumble. Or this could be high-level sabotage by WWE beating his ass out the door onto AEW to reunite with Matt Hardy. It's a possibility. But it's very hard to believe that they don't hear the reactions that Jeff gets, not only in his home state, but across the country and the world when he travels overseas for these shows. This guy is incredibly over, and you can't deny that. You can't fight it. No no matter how hard you try, you're going to get that pushback from the fans. And last night was a clear indication of that. And for Sami Zayn, he's got to cut the promo of his life to make me believe that he has any shot against Roman Reigns. I love the idea of a Luva kick off the top. Roman will be laughing then. It sets the tone for a great match, but Sammy has got to cut the promo of his life, maybe cut his hair and beard to get back to that OG 2016. Sammy Zayn, we all know and love, is a fighting baby face with the old music back. That has to be the only way for him to really have any conceivable shot at making me believe he has any chance against Roman Reigns for that Universal Championship. But as always, we shall see when it comes to WWE booking. And speaking of WWE booking, we must talk about the presentation of Tony Storm this past Friday night. She comes out to talk to Charlotte Flair. She wants a shot at Charlotte and her Women's Championship. And Charlotte Flair says, I don't even know that you exist until now. And then then we have this leftovers table from Thanksgiving, all the leftover food. And Tony Storm gets hit with a pie to the face. And you would think after the first pie hit to the face, Tony Storm is going to put Charlotte Flair through a table because she got hit with a pie to the face. But oh no, she gets hit with two pies to the face. And she stands there. She takes it. She doesn't charge after Charlotte, despite those very high heel boots that Charlotte was wearing that night. I was just like, this is how you're building up Charlotte's next challenger, throwing pies in her face. And Tony can't even fight back. She does, she's not down due to a move or a boot or a moonsault, but a pie to the face. Your thoughts, Scott, on this? <sighs> what they doing with my girl Tony time, man? Like, 
I mean, they first debuted her. She was an 80s rock chick who, you know, forgot it was 2020 and was 40 years behind the times. Now she's just getting pies thrown in her face. Like, and I, and I thought they took a good step with her at Survivor Series. She got a couple of eliminations. And now they just take a huge step back. And this is why, and I think this is something we talked about, maybe the, like the first show I was on here on The Wrap. This is why you have to continuously have people like win matches and continuously win matches. We talked a lot about AEW on the show, but I have to bring them up one more time. One thing they do do is they have people winning matches. Like, you know, regardless of whether it's on YouTube or, or whatever, they, they're, they're people who they push on TV are winning matches like and you can see it in their record and if WWE's not going to have this other place for them to be wrestling and they're not going to be keeping track of win totals and that's fine you need to be having her win matches I have I have been advocating for it and saying that this is what needs to happen you got to bring back the squash match and just utilize that every week you should have two or three squash matches on every single show I, you talked, we talked about how much time they have on TV, CJ, uh, what was the line you said? They, they, how did you, how did you say AEW uses time and WWE uses time? Oh, I just said that AEW uses their time and WWE fills their time. And that's, and that's a perfect analogy because, you know, they fill their time with, with pie fights where there's no payoff for the baby face instead of using their time to build that baby face. Why didn't Tony Storm just have a, a match, win the match, and cut a promo afterwards? I mean, wh- why wouldn't you just do that? S- I mean, simple as that. And, and, and now Tony Storm, she's got a couple big wins. She had a big Survivor Series. Now we at least have her winning matches and looking credible. You know, or just have her powerbomb Charlotte through the table. I mean, why not just have her do that? Charlotte can take being embarrassed like that. Charlotte is pretty much Teflon in WWE. She can take any type of embarrassment. I mean, as long as it's nothing egregious. And her going through a Thanksgiving table is nothing egregious that she can't cover up next week. Like, why are they doing my girl Tony time like this? This is just pissing me off, man. We got some people like Selena Vega winning Queen of the Ring and a tag champion, and you got Tony time just stuck over here getting pies in her face. I don't understand what the criteria. I, I don't understand who, why certain people just are not getting some of the attention that they should. Like tony's a talent man like she she, i i think she could be like just a notch or two below rhea ripley as far as top tier talent man like she's like she can be in that mix with bianca belair rhea she's i'm pretty sure she's pretty young too like i i just it just doesn't make sense to me the decisions that are being made with some of the women it is definitely frustrating and cj this is your sister as well distant sister but a sister nonetheless so what are your thoughts on the presentation of tony storm getting two pies to the face and she can't even fight back with at least a punch or a powerbomb through the leftovers thanksgiving day table uh when my mate tony got just embarrassed on smackdown i was it was just so stupid like I, I hate that they do this food stuff because it's like wasting food. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of, you know, hungry people that could 
eat that food, but instead they're using it to put it in each other's face on television. That kind of rubs me the wrong way, and I know it's been done in wrestling forever, but um, when Charlotte said, I don't even know who you are, I thought of that scene in Avengers Endgame where uh, Thanos says that to Wanda Maximoff, and then she proceeds to just um, knock him over with uh, like parts of the earth, and I thought when Charlotte said that, she was going to double leg, I mean, when uh, Tony was going to double leg Charlotte and then just kind of, you know, get some get some licks in and, you know, look good against the champion. But she just looked so uh, useless isn't the right word, but it's like, why should I care about Tony Storm when she just was made to look like a fool? Um, Charlotte's definitely Teflon because she went off script on live TV and wasn't punished. So you're right about that, Scott. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, Tony Storm, there's like so much upside, it's not funny, and they're literally fumbling the bag with a just a guaranteed popular star, but they just, you know, Charlotte has to put a pie in her face. That's that's what happened on the wrestling this week. Someone got a pie in the face. Yeah. Bunch of clowns. Yes, yeah. it was distressing. I was very depressed watching that segment because Tony Storm is so great. But her entire run in WWE, besides NXT UK and the Mae Young Classic, has been incredibly confusing to me. Heel turned for no reason last year. Now she's on SmackDown getting pies to the face. I don't get it, and I feel for her. She deserves better than this, and hopefully she gets some semblance of revenge on Charlotte Flair. I doubt it, but as always, we shall see. And one more note from SmackDown regarding the SmackDown debut of Ridge Holland, recent NXT call-up, recent draftee to SmackDown, recent associate to Sheamus, Faces Cesaro, a guy I like a lot. I'm a ride or die Cesaro fan. But you're trying to build someone new up because you call them up to get over. And Rich Holland finds a way to lose not once, but twice in one night. He gets rolled up and pinned by Cesaro. And then for the Black Friday Warrior Rumble Invitational, or Battle Royale Invitational, I should say, he gets eliminated by Cesaro. He loses twice in one night. And I'm supposed to have faith in Rich Holland because... I don't know. I do think he was called up a bit too soon. I think there's more work to be done. But if you call him up before he's ready, it's on you to say what his strengths and weaknesses are and if he's ready for prime time. If not, you keep him on NXT long term with a Pete Dunn. If you call him up now, then I think you would have enough faith in him to actually have him score wins on a veteran like Cesaro if not, will this be carrying cross all over again and people telling me, be patient, see how it plays out? I saw how it played out. Somebody got fired. Your thoughts, CJ? Yeah. Um, I, I, just aside from that, like on commentary, Pat McAfee was like acting like he didn't know Ridge Holland. Did they not have a, um, did they not work together before in NXT? Uh <laughs> The Rich Holland loot. <laughs> he gave him a car. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he like snapped his leg catching someone. Um, I'd say Karrion Cross had more upside than like he had going in than Ridge Holland does going in. 
and they've kind of done the same thing here. I'd say the carrying cross thing made my brain explode more. Um, but yeah, this is not a good sign for Ridge. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's one thing when it's a baby face and they're like, oh, no, if they lose, that they'll get more over, like, Daniel Bryan, which was an anomaly. But, yeah, this is very bad. Um, we could just forget about it. And then he goes on a tear from here, but it's not a good sign. It's, you know, the, the missing egg is a metaphor for Vince's brain at this point. So, yeah, it's, I don't understand it at all. He should have yes. at least, re like, eliminated Cesaro in the Battle Royal, but, yeah. At least 50-50 booking, but... Yeah. Unfortunately, Vince's brain is not made of chocolate, which is even more insulting regarding this booking. It's melted down into like a Hershey syrup of some sort that is not very good with consistency. And Scott, what's your thoughts on Rich Holland losing twice in one night in his SmackDown debut to Cesaro? Um, my my thoughts is this is exactly what they think of him. I mean, he's not even being protected as much as Boogerman. And I mean, like, it, let's let's keep it one hundred. You're not even, you know, they're taking way more care of Rick Boogs and and Nakamura and and you know that little tandem they got going on um, much more than they are Rich Holland. And you know, I, I'm I'm actually really surprised by that. Because um, I think I, I figured Rich Holland be everything you would want uh, in a top guy. And I, first of all, why he shouldn't even be wrestling these singles matches right now, these four minute matches um, against Cesaro. Like he should just be beating down Cesaro. Like Sheamus should be in the match. We should WWE is going to do their stupid DQs anyway, so let's do that or just ha not even start the match. Have Rich Holland just come in and just destroy Cesaro for a couple weeks. So then at least if you have Cesaro pull out this fluky win, it's not after you haven't seen anything from Ridge Holland. Like we've seen nothing from this guy. And I think they've, I think in their mind, they're like, well, he dominated the match and he was mauling him and all this stuff, but he still lost. It don't, you know, you could, you can dominate anybody you want, but if you lose, you lose. Ask Chael Sonnen. He dominated Anderson Silva for three, you know, four out of the five rounds of their UFC title fight and got tapped out in the last 30 seconds. He, him dominating Anderson Silva did nothing for his career because he still lost, and that's what happened here with Ridge Holland, man. If you if you don't get the dub, you don't get the dub. I will say there's no two better guys for him to be working with than Cesaro and Sheamus. Cesaro can pretty much do anything in the ring, and I'm with you, Keela. I think. Sheamus is one of the more underrated guys in ring that WWE has. I think he brings a different style. His matches have a different physicality to him. He has more physicality than I think just about anybody. I think he brings a level of physicality that's on the, like, I would love to see like him versus Ishii. I know it's completely off topic, but we're talking about just guys just beating the hell out of each other. Him versus Minoru, you know, guys like that. Like he, he kind of fits that bill of guys who just like to pummel each other and just beat the hell out of each other. So I, I think there's great guys to work with. I'm just, again, what, what are we doing? Squash matches. Why isn't Rich Holland just having a squash match here, doing a couple power moves and, and just getting over We've seen that work. It worked with a guy like Ryback. It worked with Braun Strowman. Have this guy just win some... It's working with Omos. Like, and he's not even doing squash matches. He's just in matches for a minute or two doing a couple moves and he's getting over. That's all you got to do with Rich Holland. He's got a great look. 
He's got a great entrance, too, if they use the same one from NXT, but we've seen how they change entrances. Entrances. So, yeah, it's, they have something there, but obviously they don't think they do. They just see him as another body. And that's not good because you are in the business of supposedly making stars and getting younger. And he's a young guy. I do think he's incomplete as a performer. I think he has a great entrance and you see his charisma, but the in-ring stuff, the execution is a bit off. He's got something, but if he's not ready to be on SmackDown, you keep him in NXT. What's the rush if you're not ready for him to win right now, which should be the end goal. And in this state of WWE, you never know who's going to be here week to week. It's a very week to week company. And one loss, I'm not going to wait and see what happens because shit, he might not be here next week. That's how testy this is for WWE these days. But, you know, I was confused by the loss last night. I'm happy for Cesaro. But on this night, when a guy has been trading water for a minute, he could eat the loss. He's going to be okay. And Rich Holland, if they let him cook, he's got great resources in Sheamus, who I think is probably one of my top five brawlers of the year. His his resume this year has been incredible in terms of high-quality matches. you got Cesaro, a seasoned vet. I throw Drew McIntyre in there, as well as a guy that can also guide Rich Holland on his journey towards being a powerhouse if WWE lets him cook long-term. But... In WWE, you never know what they're going to do despite how they position somebody on the main roster. And so far for Rich Holland, it's a very rough start despite his potential. And now it's time to wrap up the show with our fifth and final topic, which is our guilty pleasure. And please avoid this shit at all costs. The one thing you need to turn your TV off for. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on the week that was in WWE? What is that one guilty pleasure you knew you shouldn't like, but you did? And that one thing you don't regret turning off the TV for? So my the the one thing that you can skip and I you know I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say is I, I think we can all be in agreement on this. You guys might have different ones, but I you'll 100% back me up. Is uh you can definitely skip anything involving Vince McMahon and that golden egg. Um again you don't bring golden eggs with no chocolate in it. So it, you're automatically disqualified off top whenever you do that. So anything involving him, the golden egg is completely worthless, stupid. Even the payoff, the match wasn't even that great. So everything involving that, you can skip all of that. As far as my guilty pleasure, I, I'm really stuck on two. And I, I got to, and I'm going to, so, I'm going to do a promo in a match. My promo is Trevor Lee. Um, I, I thought he um, cut a, a great promo on NXT after he got his hair cut last week by Duke Hudson. Um, I, I thought it was a, a great, great, great promo. Uh, showed good babyface fire. I think he's got top babyface potential on that NXT brand. Because, again, I still see Braun Breaker becoming a heel at some point. And I think Trevor Lee is a guy who can really become a top tier baby face that promo was excellent and again from nxt I, I i really enjoyed this week's episode the triple threat match at the end of the show carmelo hayes is really good and i know he's in the ring with johnny gargano and pete dunn who are also really good 
but Carmelo Hayes is really good, man. And he's got his gimmick down. He's got his character down. He's got flashy moves. Um, I didn't think he would work this well as a heel, but he's been fantastic. They've done a great job protecting Pete Dunne as well. So like that triple threat was everything you could ask for, especially out of this NXT 2.0. So yeah, NXT 2.0 was a good show. So check out that promo and that main event. All right, CJ, your turn. What is your guilty pleasure and your one thing that you're glad you turned the TV off for this week? Uh, it, it was a toss-up between the egg, and we didn't mention that Vince would have said to the talent, all right, now when I get out of the limo, you're all going to cheer for me because they all <laughs> – that was just so weird. We didn't talk about that. Uh, I just wanted to say that's very just – makes me nauseous. So – it's it was a toss up between that and the Charlotte Tony Storm stuff, but I'll probably just go with the egg because the Charlotte and Tony Storm stuff's like kind of standard at this point. Um, my guilty pleasure is Paul Heyman's feud with Kayla Braxton, which has <laughs> like fantastic. <laughs> she, I could have you know as an interviewer, Kayla, I was like, oh, I could take her or leave her, but since this Paul thing, she's been so much better. I think she's gotten like a hundred percent better and she's just way more natural way more believable and especially when paul's there because she plays off him and he's a pro um yeah that's probably my biggest guilty pleasure in wwe is that little that thing they're great together it's a guilty pleasure of mine as well and my guilty pleasures and my avoid at all costs leans into nxt this week first off cameron grimes the promo was everything but I'm shallow on this show. I got to talk about the cut, the hair, the shortened beard. He looks good. He, lo- he looks like a GQ thirst trap this week. I saw the ladies kind of going crazy <laughs> on social media. Like they were trying to like slide in the DMs a little bit. So he's going to definitely be a heartthrob on this show. He was looking good this week. No lie. Noted thirst trap extraordinaire. Cameron Grimes got money and now he's got the looks too. And apparently when Vince and company did that walkthrough, they saw something in Cameron Grimes saying, cut your hair kid but you got something as a baby face and he's one of the few protected guys outside of Ciampa Gargano and Pete Dunne who still has their spot pretty secure on NXT 2.0 and my please do not watch this at all costs is something that Scott alluded to earlier and that is Von Wagner's promo (laughs) Lord when he started talking and he tried hard to remember everything he had to say in 30 seconds and he was finding the words reaching for the words and they were barely coming to him and I looked at Kyle O'Reilly I looked at him and he thought to himself two more weeks bitches two (laughs) more weeks and I am out of here I don't have to carry this man anymore. I cannot wait to reunite with Adam Cole and Bobby Fish. Oh. Red Dragon's coming back, baby. Two more weeks of this. I can't take it no more. Let me lose next Tuesday to Imperium or Legata, whoever I'm facing at TakeOver. If I get there, even though it's not a TakeOver anymore, I can't deal with this. Because Von Wagner, with all due respect, is not ready for prime time. The man can hardly work. He's nervous every time he's out there. And his ability to not cut a promo was apparent on Tuesday, and I pray for him because that was rough, very rough. You talking about his ability to cut a promo? I, I'm shocked at his inability just to talk. <laughs> 
I <laughs> again when that dude said dumbass, I would like it was he was questioning whether that was the right word to say when he said it. And I swear I could be wrong. I thought I saw Kyle crack a smile. <laughs> I thought I saw a grin come across his face. I don't know. I think I think he got him, you know. So I I don't know what's going on. Maybe there's an inside joke there. Maybe Von Wagner's playing us all, and he's going to cut this great promo next week. I doubt it, but he just needs to work on memorizing his lines, and then maybe we'll get a better Von promo. Yes, because you know I stumble too. I you know I stutter as well. I'm very excited to talk very fast, but I'm not going to forget what I'm saying on live television. I'm not going to be that frozen in real time. I own up to my mistakes, but Von Wagner, sir. Mm -mm. But Kyle, I did see the crack of the smile. Like you're like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> he was like, wait a minute. <laughs> he was reaching for dumbass, but it was like, it was so far away and he barely got it out. And I had to think to myself, is he doing like high level Steiner math to make sure the promo comes out? Because that was a moment and that segment, that entire promo exchange outside of Imperium, that was rough to watch. And Kyle O'Reilly is counting down the days until I am out of here at long last. And with that, we got to count our time and say we're out of here, too. So I want to thank all of you guys for listening to this week's wrap, a super deluxe edition. As we recap the week that was in WWE, I want to thank Scott and CJ for joining me this week once again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Keely, do a great job hosting. CJ, it's always cool to connect from the other side of the world. <laughs> Enjoy your daytime. Enjoy that beautiful sunlight that I see while I walk in the darkness back to my home. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It's always a lot of fun doing the rap, and I will have a great afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> low-key though low-key yeah low-key i'll have a nice afternoon yeah yeah <laughs> yes a low-key good afternoon and a low-key great week to all of you out there as we got nxt not takeover war games going down this upcoming sunday on peacock i'll be back with a review and maybe a special guest co-host to join me as we wrap up a very busy very uneven year of wwe pay-per-views but until then enjoy your week enjoy all the content coming your way on the Fight Game Media Network as we pump out great content nearly every day of the week for your listening pleasure covering all things combat, sports, and professional wrestling. So until next Monday, I'm Keela, that's Scott, and CJ all the way in Australia with the bright sunlight on his side. And with that, that is a wrap.